This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. The whole gang's back together to break down Georgia State's convincing win over Utah State in the 2023 famous Idaho Potato Bowl. As the Panthers end 2023 with a 7-6 and record, we'll also discuss some big news for a GSU player looking to hear his name called in the 2024 NFL Draft, and we'll preview the Panthers' Sunbelt opener on the hardwood. But first, let's talk about that Potato Bowl, a 45-22 to win over Utah State. It looks slated to be a back-and-forth, high-scoring sweat fest when a 65-yard touchdown run by Devon Booth gave Utah State their second long touchdown in as many possessions and tied the game at 14 with 3.41 to go in the first quarter. But from that point, the Panthers scored the next 31 points unanswered to take total command of the game as they ended up outgaining the Aggies 643 yards to 346. The unanimous MVP was quarterback Darren Granger, who shined in his final game in blue and white with an 86% completion rate, 257 passing yards, 111 rushing yards, and five total touchdowns. But... The surprise star of the game was a debut starter at running back, Freddie Brock, who broke the Georgia State single-game rushing record with 276 yards on just 24 carries. Georgia State improves to 4-2 all-time in bowl games and 4-1 and under head coach Sean Elliott. They finish 2023 with a winning record of 7-6. Gentlemen, thoughts of the Potato Bowl or end of the football season? Yeah, I'll start with just rattling off a couple more stats or putting some of the things you read out in a little more context. So the 643 total yards Georgia State ended up with, obviously a season high. The next closest was the win over Charlotte when they had 568 as a team. And also, in the four games in November, Georgia State's offense in those four games, this is a four-game total, was 1,149. So they had almost half over half of the yards in the entire month of November in this one game in December. Uh, The 386 rushing yards is what they ended up with. They had 384 rushing yards combined in their last three regular season games. This was unlike anything we had seen from this team in probably a couple of months, basically since that went over Marshall in the middle of October. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering where that team was for the entire season, and I am as well. But I think from my perspective, I didn't foresee a Georgia State blowout, but I was on the right side of things as much as I could be because on this pod, I talked about how I really didn't feel like there'd be a drop-off with Freddie Brock if the holes were going to be there in the run game. I, I did not expect him to break Trey Barnett's record in his first start, but I thought he'd be decent at least. I thought he would be fine if everything else held up. And I talked about it and something that I mentioned basically any time I was asked about the bowl or talked about the bowl on here where, look, Sean Elliott coming to this game, his, he and his staff were three and one in bowl games. And the only bowl game that they lost, their quarterback was not 100% healthy. I just felt like we'd see a better version of this team than we had in a while because this staff has shown the ability to get the team up for this game after a couple more weeks of practice and just kind of game planning this thing up. and. Clearly, they did that to the nth degree because that was a massive, massive good performance from Georgia State. It was a pretty surprising one, um, not because 
they didn't have talent. You know, we talked about them all season and, you know, certainly a talented team capable of scoring points. Um, but I didn't expect them to kind of come out as guns blazing as they did. I expected them to you know, play decently well. Um, and I think it was you who had mentioned that Utah State was going to be without a good bit of starters, like right before kickoff, um, was admittedly traveling. So I was, you know, in a hectic state of mind. Yeah, I think from the radio broadcast for Georgia State, Dave Cohen, I think they had got it. Um, maybe from the Utah State radio guy had mentioned it, um, but it was like eight, seven or eight, that I think it was a higher number than we expected. But um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe that was a factor, but certainly I don't think Utah State fans feel anywhere like what Georgia State fans do. This does kind of spell out in a dramatic way the difference in feeling of finishing seven and six and six and seven, because if it was Georgia State after the month they just went through to close out the year, losing by 23 to fall to six and seven. Oh, buddy, would the vibes be horrendous here in Atlanta? Exactly. You know, um, and it's, it was a it was a good game. It was a, honestly, it was a funny game. Like that was the thing that uh, I took away from it uh, mostly. Like when the game was not, I don't want to say in the balance because it was pretty not in the balance quickly. Um, but just you know, pretty much until halfway through the third quarter, it was just yakety sack playing in my head over and over again. Uh, and on both sides, like yes, it obviously would have been worse for Georgia State if the you know the result was exactly flipped. But you know, there was I feel like in the spirit of bowl season georgia state was on the good side of just one of the funnier bowl games that happened this season yeah you can now laugh at the the one turnover georgia state had just the the weirdest play ever where this is the point where georgia state was up 21 14 at this point i want to say they were driving just outside the red zone a common theme throughout the day before and after this turnover Darren Granger loses the snap, has to pick it up off the ground and scramble. Gets his hit as he throws. Probably an ill-advised throw, but it finds the hands of Rakeem Laney, who stretches out after making the first down mark, fumbles, loses it. I think it's the play that, like, if it ends up being a loss, even by one possession, whatever, that's the play that's like, oh my god. But Georgia State fans can kind of laugh at that play now. It's just the absurdity of what college football can bring you sometimes is plays like that. It's the field goals on the West end zone just not being at all workable because the, the wind was just playing absolute fiend against them at that end. Georgia State and Utah State both had a missed field goal at that end of the field where just um, at a certain point just took it all the way right. Uh, but, you know, past all that, we saw the team that we had seen when they came out and started 6-1 and one this year. Like, it was surprising like David said, because we hadn't seen it in a while, but I felt very similar vibes to how they were playing earlier in the year, where the offense were just crisp and were not making mistakes to take themselves off the field. You saw some chunk plays, especially in the run game, that that was a feature of some of those early wins that wasn't so much a feature as the season went on, or I guess it was the only thing about the run game in some of those. Uh, you know, against Jamie, you had some long runs, but not anything other than that. The run game was pretty consistent all day. Uh, defensively, you know, Georgia State had the only two defensive stops on the first six possessions, and he did it on a turnover on downs in plus territory for Utah State, and then also on one of those missed field goals. 
But that was how it kind of was in, earlier in the year where the defense wasn't just getting stops, three and outs the entire time. It was their ability to get off the field even as the opponent got into past midfield. And then once they got that three-score lead, it felt pretty comfortable. And they just never had that moment where they let the other team get any kind of momentum back in it until the game was kind of well within their reach or, you know, well, well over. Because you did have that Tyleek Williams fumbles, the opening kickoff of the third quarter that made you kind of think, oh, no, is this going to be a repeat of the uh, Old Dominion catastrophe? Because that was kind of the vibe of that game in the second half where just everything that was going to go wrong did, but he fell on it. And it made you appreciate a three and out that goes absolutely nowhere a lot more because uh, it could have been Utah State ball uh, at the Georgia State 10 to start things off. And from there, kind of smooth sailing. And I, I think it all starts with one of the steadiest games from a guy who I think we would call steady most games he plays from Darren Granger. Just he was on it the entire time, making every throw, making the right read, making the moves down the field in the run game. Just not couldn't have been a better send off for him as a three year starter of this program. Now, the only Georgia State quarterback to start in and win multiple bowl games. Steady is such a good word to use, because, I mean, even even though, like I said, the game was funny, um, the if you want to even call them mistakes that Georgia State had. No, yeah, you can call them mistakes. A turnover is a mistake. They did have, you know, four official fumbles. Um, only losing one, but uh, the Darren's poise and just, you know, going back to his stout decision making immediately after any sort of pressure that he would receive, any sort of mistake that would happen, whether it was him or his receivers. I mean, that's <laughs> that is what we've seen out of this guy for three years now. You know, it's it's crazy to think. You know, when you think about Georgia State players and, you know, Georgia State as an athletic program, you know, I don't know if Georgia State has a specific and official Hall of Fame, but that game is just another accolade in the cap that is Darren's Hall of Fame resume at Georgia State, because, you know, there are times where young quarterbacks or quarterbacks with experience can kind of get rattled. And even when he was a young quarterback, he never really got rattled. You know, yeah, sometimes the comebacks or the plays wouldn't end up being good after Georgia State got down. And yes, obviously, you know, Darren has losses if you're going to pretend that quarterback losses are a thing. But, you know, him actually being rattled is not something that we've really ever seen. And it kind of looked like it was going to trend a weird way. We knew there were questions about how the offensive line was going to perform, especially and just how they would look with these new pieces in place, losing Marcus Carroll, uh, losing Robert Lewis. And the first two plays on the first drive for Georgia State after they forced that turnover on downs for uh, Utah State only went backwards. It was a run that Freddie Brock had absolutely no room to get to, and it was a pass out into the flat to Freddie Brock, who was met in the backfield for a loss immediately. And I was sitting up there in the press box, so fortunate to be at this game. I was like, oh, this could be really, really bad if this is how they're going to look out of the gate on the scripted drive. And then on the third down play, there was third and 13, I want to say. Darren stood in the pocket, went through his progressions and found Kadarius Thompson over the middle, who took an absolute shot and held on to the ball, lost his helmet, but held on to the ball, moved the chains. 
And it felt like that steadied the team. That settled them into the rhythm to where they kind of got going on that drive. They got the run game going. And again, in his last game, another fitting thing that happened is first touchdown drive. The last three plays were all empty set. Darren Granger quarterback runs up the gut. They went to that weird blitz with the uh, tackle and the guard on the left side of the offensive line being way spread out and having Amon Green up in the middle as the tight end in between the center and the guard. More quirkiness with the offensive line personnel. Shades of the uh, formation they went with back in 2019 where they had the uh, tackle split all the way out wide to the sidelines. Got the touchdown, and from what Coach Elliott said after the game was him ordering, those were his words, ordering uh, Darren to dunk the ball over the... uh, the goalpost, which ended up drawing a flag. Um, that was, I think, all in line with uh, putting the game around your your quarterback, the thing you knew you had coming into this game, but also fit in with what Coach Elliott had said all week, all bull prep about wanting this to be fun for them. You know, he's out here telling them to take penalties and celebrate touchdowns. He uh, got up high and shoulder bumped Darren after the second touchdown when Darren dove over the pile uh, into the end zone for a one-yard touchdown run. Certainly everyone was taking that on board and having fun, but having fun and also just playing really, really good offensive football for a lot of that game. That dunking over the goalpost is certainly not something that I thought would happen. Uh, just given what I know about the personnel here. Um, but it it was in a season that was categorized by, you know, ups and downs. It was nice to have some levity at the end there. The beginning of the game, obviously, but end of the season. Right. Uh, and the thing that I picked up on, I guess, the, and kind of the wrinkle offensively is I noticed a fair amount of motion, you know, Tyleek Williams going across the formation in motion before snaps. And you had the first run for Freddie Rock that went 60 yards where you had that motion that took the safety away from the middle of the field right before the snap. And Freddie Brock basically ran right into that space. Uh, you saw the defensive end also kind of sold out on the reverse or the end around on that play. So he was out of the play, just not as many defenders, too many that were upfield away from Freddie Brock. They went to it a couple of times. They actually... Gave it to him on occasion on the, I think the first to the second touchdown drive in the red zone where he got about six yards, but it was back to what we had seen earlier in the year. And part of that was just, I think Trent McKnight and the offensive game plan being what it was at the time when it was working, where it was like, we're going to find this one thing that works, or we're going to find this edge and just keep going back to it and keep running these plays. And when the offense wasn't doing the same thing, you know, when they were having a lot of, stagnation and just not scoring there in November. It just felt like a switch to where they were playing too much to what they needed to based on the personnel, the defensive side, or whether it was like James Madison, they felt like they had to tweak stuff because they knew James Madison had a good defense, but it felt like they just got back into, we're going to accentuate the things that this offense does well. And that's what worked. And so more than you know, a couple of weeks practice to help things lock in, maybe time to forget about a tough loss, a tough five losses to end the season. It just felt like they got back to what had been the formula that got them to a six and one start. And I feel like that's got to be the takeaway for this staff because you know, you're not going to have Darren Granger next year. And so already 
newness and the ability for things to regress just because you're losing a solid, steady starter at QB. But it just seemed like the month off might have just let them realize what had been working in the first place. And they got back to it to great success. And so I guess that's the best thing you can say is they got really ready for this game. The players executed it. And so that can be kind of the message internally heading into next season. And obviously winning games by 23 to finish the year. I mean, this is the last football game they will play until next August. This is the memory that will live longest in fans' minds. And it's a pretty good one. You couldn't have asked much more from it. You really couldn't have. I, I'm glad Georgia State played this game like this. I'm glad that they ended up winning. Um, and it's funny because if, if not for Freddie Brock, we would seriously be having like a 20-minute conversation um, about Kadarius Thompson because he had such a good game. And it was one of those games that we've seen from him where it's like, okay, you know, defense is kind of focusing on other people, but I'm also good sometimes. So I'm going to be really good today. Yeah, five receptions for 117 yards, two touchdowns. The last of those are both career highs. He kind of, you know, had a, not really a mossing, but he just kind of outworked the DDB to get the second one. And the first touchdown, he was like, that's the most open he's ever going to be for a touchdown unless a guy just falls down and like he gets a 70 yarder that just, they fall down because that was the moment on that drive, that was a touchdown that made it 31-14 right before the half, where it was as good of the passing game has been maybe since the Charlotte game because they, you know, they threw for a billion yards in that game, but really for a while. And even in that game, you hit some shots, but this was like back to back to back, just absolutely abusing the middle of the field. And then when they adjusted to that, you got a favorable matchup with Kadarius on a linebacker in the corner of the end zone for that touchdown. But yeah, kind of a theme for me was starting with Brock, obviously. Guys that are older, that have maybe been around for a little while, having real moments because you had Kadarius, you had Brock, you had Ronald Cooper, got the interception, the only turnover forced of the game uh, on Utah State, just jumped around, read Levi Williams' eyes the entire way, returned it back to the 10, and that was right after Georgia State's turnover, so... The defense got their back by getting a turnover immediately back, and they still got the field goal that they were probably going to get on that drive before the hilarity play with the Laney fumble. And then Jordan Venziao, who I think they called the heart and soul of the defense on the broadcast, and I, th- I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Guy that had just kind of given his all for Georgia State now for a full career, also in his last game. And there was a sequence uh, in the second half where He chased down a punt returner, would have been a pretty big return if he didn't make that play, was hyped after that play. And on the third down after that punt return, started that drive, which was started around midfield, could have been a chance for a kind of a quick score for Utah State. He got a sack to end it and was even more excited after that play. And so not just seeing just guys step up in these moments like Brock, like, uh, you know, Kadarius Thompson, like Jordan Venziel, but like the and Ronald Cooper, that all of them had these moments and that Darren Granger had one of his best games in his last game. Just it's the thing you love about this sport and and watching these guys for year after year after year, because you see them work, work their tails off. And a lot of guys kind of got, you know, 
got their got theirs back in this game in a convincing win that's going to be I say that the game is going to be long in the memory of fans because it's the last one. I imagine that game is going to be long, long, long in the memory of guys like Jordan because it'll be the last time he's out there. He's done it with a win, got some highlight plays in the in the. You know, he got some highlight plays at the end of it. The memory is good because you know, like you said. I believe last week, you know, it's the holiday season. Our recording timeline is weird, but, you know, Georgia State's overall record is what it is. And that's going to take another decade to fix that. Okay, fine. But their bowl record is four and two now. And that's something that people are going to see. That's something that people are going to notice. And, you know, obviously bowl games are what they are. And they're probably going to change in the next couple of years with the expanded playoff. And, you know, Whatever, 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 but four and two in bowl games looks a hell of a lot better than whatever their regular season record is. So that memory is going to be there for a while. And and this is something Coach Elliott talked about after the game that this was a showcase. You know, the viewer numbers will come back and it's not going to be like what the college football playoff numbers are. But I imagine viewership was pretty good. Primetime 330 window in the holiday Saturday. And it's a chance that recruits and just general college football people are not as attuned as we are on this podcast and most of you listening to this of how much of a beatdown and just bad the final five games of the season were for this team. Their memory is going to be if they, you know, watch this game. Hey, that team ran for a billion yards and had a lot of fun doing it. And I think it can mean a lot more as far as just kind of a, a signal to the rest of the country who are watching college football, then regular season games that obviously matter a lot, but kind of don't stay in the public consciousness unless something crazy happens. And that doesn't mean there's not problems to fix from that late season run. You know, clearly there's still things to improve. This game was not mission accomplished. You've got to find a way to tap into the energy you had in this game for a full season. And I feel like that's the biggest challenge for Coach Elliott and his staff because, you know, year eight is coming. And I think the frustration is not that we've never seen this team play well. It's that it's inconsistent and you see them lose it like they did for the final five games and turn what had been a potentially on track for best season ever when you're six and one to another middle of the pack season finishing six and six. Coach Elliott talked a lot about in the run up to this game that it's about who wants to be there and we're going to be ready for this game. And, you know, new guys are going to step up and they might make mistakes, but I want them to play with energy because they're getting this opportunity to start. And all of that came true. He was right on every one of those counts. That was absolutely how that game played out. It was not any kind of coach speak wishing it into existence. Georgia State was ready for that game. They played with a lot of energy and they earned a heavy victory. It's just going to be about how can you make that the case for 12 games in 2024 when you're not going to have a bowl trip to sell them on and when you're not going to have a whole lot of time to prep for it. You just kind of got to get back up on the mat because they played really loose. And I don't think you could really say they were playing all that loose against App State or James Madison this year. They weren't playing loose against Georgia Southern and they dug themselves in the hole in that game. And so... It's been a testament to this coaching staff to erase that streak to end the year, get them ready for this game. They just got to play like this more often. 
And I don't think that this the uh, you can't replicate all of the Bulls stuff in any regular season game, but clearly it's possible to bring that same energy every week because you see teams do it. You see teams do it in the Sunbelt Conference more regularly than Georgia State does. And this team that we just saw can beat a whole hell of a lot of teams. It's just about getting this team to show up like this a lot more often. And that's before you bring in the uh, all the roster stuff that's still up in the air. So obviously, staff's got to juggle that as well. But that was where I was left after this game. Yeah, and I mean, you what you just said is really kind of the... If you want to take a, a bird's eye view and summarize both this year, this, you know, this college football season and kind of the last like couple of years of, you know, Coach Elliott's time here and just Georgia State where they are as a program, consistency really is that next step for them. It's not like, yes, you know, you're going to want to have the highs of the highs. And I totally understand that. Um, you're gonna, some, you know, you're gonna have some lows. You're gonna have, you know, some times where you're gonna have a 2022 season. And I'm not, I'm not gonna say that's okay because obviously the expectation is at least a bowl game. You know, fine. But the thing with Georgia State that really needs to improve is the consistency. The consistency from quarter to quarter. The consistency from drive to drive. But also the consistency from game to game. The consistency you know, from season to season, there is nothing that Georgia state did on the 23rd that you could say Georgia state could not do in the Georgia Southern game in the app state game in the James Madison game. And yes, obviously all of those teams are good. You know, I, well, two of those teams are good. I don't want to take anything away from those games. You know, they came in, beat the Panthers, but it happens. Okay, fine. But a part of what will turn Georgia State into the program, you know, similar to the the way that we think of the basketball program and we've thought of them and, you know, over the last decade is finding ways when you have, you know, to replace your entire roster because of the transfer portal or, you know, their new coach or whatever, finding ways to continue to be consistent and finding ways to still play the brand of sport that you are, the brand of football that you are, running the football effectively, passing in smart ways, not turning over the ball. That is really what's going to make Georgia State go from what they are now to a better team because the way that you get to those 10 win seasons is through consistency. That's how you get there. And I'm not I'm not saying I know there's a ton of people who, you know, are going to sit there and want drastic changes. I, I mean, I feel like saying this on December 28th, we can pretty clearly say that there will, won't be drastic changes to the 24 team outside of just, you know, the, the players because Darren's going to be gone. You know, Marcus Carroll isn't returning this year. So, you know, if you want to call the returning production level being small, drastic, I understand that. Um, but if there's anything that I would say that Coach Elliott and the staff should be preaching in the offseason to whomever lines up for them in the spring game and next August, it really should just be consistency because that's going to be the most important thing for them going forwards. Yeah, I think more than preaching it, he's got to find a way to tell that message that gets through because it seemed like they talked up the importance of the James Madison game and, you know, I'm sure the App State factor was talked about in the run-up to that game. And clearly, there was a disconnect because the performance wasn't there and just the levels of energy needed to beat those teams. But you definitely singled out something I wanted to circle back to where 
you 386 rushing yards. Absolutely great. Uh, one of the best they've had in the last couple of years. Certainly, if you have that total of rushing yards in the game, you're going to have a pretty good chance of winning. But Utah State had, I think, a bottom five or ten rush defense heading into this game. They were allowing 199 rushing yards per game heading into the bowl game. You couldn't just say, okay, well, if you do this, you're going to rush for the same amount against James Madison, who was the best rushing defense in the country this year. But you don't need to rush for 386 to be competitive in those games. And that was what was missing this year is just you weren't even within the final quarter of the game within striking distance. And it certainly was doable. You know, Old Dominion, the team that Georgia State lost two by one, was up by on three scores. We don't need to relitigate all of that. Played James Madison in Harrisonburg to a three-point loss. Appalachian State and James Madison, when they played, it went to overtime. It was a tight game. Obviously, game script got away from Georgia State, and that is going to happen from time to time, both for you and against you. But that is the... the th- like, it isn't like, okay, you can just copy and paste this bull performance, because obviously it's a better team. But it isn't about you need to play that well and you need to win by three scores over this team like you did against Utah State. You just got to not not be competitive, you know, and that's going to be the challenge going forward. Uh, But I also did want to say nothing but good things to say about city of Boise. Fun little random trip that I wasn't expecting to knock off Idaho as a state, but really nice walkable downtown area. I love the stadium. I love the blue turf. I'm all for all the different eccentricities that this sport has to offer. And it just seems like it's a really nice stadium. You know, there obviously weren't a ton of fans there. Certainly weren't a ton of Atlanta fans who were able to make that trip happen. But I can imagine when Albertson Stadium is packed, that is a fun place to see a football game happen. Yeah, I'm certainly jealous. Um, And my... In my quest to go to all 50 states, I really don't know a reason why I would be in Idaho that's not me going to that stadium. Um, I don't know if Georgia State will ever play in the Idaho Bowl again, but, you know, at least I would go to a Boise game, I would imagine. Um, So glad you got to knock that one off your list, um, if that's something that you're chasing. But I certainly wish I could have been there Um, as soon as I booked my flight in September. By the way, that was when I booked my flight to Georgia that year, uh, this year. Uh, I was like, Georgia State is 100% going to make a bowl this year. And it's going to be at the time that this flight is. And sure enough, on Selection Sunday, I was like, well, (laughs) there it is. You heard it here first. Consult David Salmon's flight schedules for if you want to know when George State's going to be in a bowl game. Or I guess if he isn't taking a flight, I don't know if that means he isn't, like if a bowl game isn't happening. I don't know. I don't know how far his powers of uh, foretelling go. This isn't, a vi- this isn't a video game podcast, but you can always tell when a very uh, popular game that I play is going to have some large event because every single time over the last year, without fail, I've missed day one because I've been traveling, so... You got to get a new travel agent. And if it's you, fire yourself. Get someone yes. else involved. Get someone else on the case. I absolutely do need to. All right. So next up on the docket for football, John Trey Hunter has accepted an invite to the 2024 Senior Bowl in Mobile, which is a showcase featuring some of the best draft eligible prospects. 
2022 version of the game had 106 participants drafted. That's 40% of the entire draft, uh, draft class that year, and over 80% of those who were invited. So this bodes well for Hunter's chances of getting picked up in the 2024 NFL draft. Gentlemen, uh, any thoughts on this? Thrilled for him, honestly. Uh, he had already announced he was going to be in the Shrine Bowl, and I thought that was a good nudge towards, okay, he's got a chance of getting drafted. But this one dropping, I was like, oh, this really, really feels like it's going to happen now. I mean, I don't want to oversell or overbake his chances because at the end of the day, I feel like it's at, at the very least, he's going to end up in a camp somewhere as an undrafted free agent. Really interested to see you know, the teams that want to talk to him, where it feels like he's going to end up playing. But I think we've spoken about this before a couple of times, just the versatility and him making this third switch now to inside linebacker, I think has really helped show a full display of all the things he can do on a football field. And with the 53 man roster restrictions, you got to have guys that can play a couple of different roles for you on an NFL roster. And so what he's been able to show has afforded them the opportunity. I think makes them an attractive draft prospect. And, you know, I think there will be division among fans for the difference between, you know, guys who don't play a bowl game because they're getting ready for the draft, uh, guys who leave in the portal to go to another school. But I hope there's nothing but joy for John Trey because he obviously did not play in the bowl game, but you can see why. And he's a guy that kind of is the perfect measure of what college football has been about for a long time, where he came here as a freshman, redshirted, developed, earned playing time little by little, and was a, a leader of the team by the end of the season or by the end of his time in at Georgia State. And so I feel like this is a nice, perfect way to have him head into his next step as a professional football player. Best of luck to him as far as that goes. He is the third Panther all time to go to the Senior Bowl after a couple of guys you might have heard of, Shandon Sullivan and Penny Hart. It's weird because I don't know where teams are going to put him. Um, I feel like the move to linebacker from safety was a good move. I just don't know that I really feel like he's going to fit on the outside. Sorry, the inside like he did when he switched this year. Yeah, it might be like a weak side. I feel like it would have to be. And I, I know that, you know, him making the NFL and being in the NFL for a few years and not necessarily being, you know, a starter or a pro bowler or something like that. That is obviously still good. I'm sure he can still carve out a career for himself. Um, and that, that's kind of where I'm curious, because I see a very talented football player. I'm just really curious about what NFL scouts evaluate him as, because I think that'll determine where he ends up and if he's able to kind of stay in that role for however long he stays in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, to put a pin on the, the thought of guys who leave guys who stay Obviously rooting for him in a different sense, because for Georgia State fans to be a little selfish, if he's picked in the draft, unlike Jamari Thrash, who is going to go in an early round this year, you'll hear John Trey Hunter linebacker Georgia State from the person who is announcing the pick. And I feel like losing some top quality guys to the portal last couple of years have made people sour on it. And it is frustrating to see a guy really be a star here and end up getting his name called in the draft somewhere else. But this will be someone that Georgia State fans don't have to be kind of bitter about. They can full on celebrate it happening when, if and when they hear his name called. 
All right, moving on to basketball. It is Sun Belt opener season. For men's basketball, they play host to Arkansas State on Saturday, December 30th. For each team's conference opener and the Red Wolves' first game in Atlanta since all the way back in February of 2019. Arkansas State is 4-8 in their first season under head coach Brian Hodgson, who was most recently an assistant under Nate Oates at Alabama. They can claim a power conference win among that quartet of victories, though, as they went up to the KFC Yum Center and took it to Louisville 75-63. As common opponents go, the Red Wolves' most recent result is a 74-70 loss at Belmont, whom the Panthers lost 2 by 2 in their season opener way back in early November. And they also lost 77-66 at Little Rock, a team Georgia State swept in a back-to-back late last month. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this Arkansas State game? Yeah, I mean, the teams had the chance to go back, probably home for the holidays for a lot of them, get away from the game for a bit. Their last result, the last thing they did was just put a beat down on Tacoa Falls, and it felt like a lot of the things that they need to do offensively going well, and them profiting as a result, winning game, dropping 122 points. So now it's going to be about, like, can they, after a bit of time off, come back and make that stuff work again against a team that's going to have comparable, if not a little better or worse here or there, talent in Arkansas State, who they've got a 4-8 and record, but they challenged themselves in non-con in Coach Hodson's first year. They have losses at Wisconsin, losses at Iowa, a loss at Alabama. So, you know, Georgia State played those three games. Probably those are all three losses kind of the same category of the losses they took or the loss to BYU. And so you can't really hold their record against them as much because they did just go into some really good teams' buildings and take some L's. The Louisville win maybe means as little as it would in the history of Louisville basketball. Maybe the second least, or maybe the only year would have meant less last year when Louisville was even worse. But Louisville's got problems, but it's still an ACC team. You went in and didn't, you know, duck your head at, didn't tighten up, turtle up and play poorly against, and you got to win. So certainly a team they have to take seriously. And I'm just interested on the offense, the internal stuff, how much of that clicks after a little bit of time off, because, you know, the quickest way to make everyone forget a three win conference season last year is to win the first one the next year. I don't know why, but that was just such a disarming bar from Brady right there. <laughs> I am actually laughing on the podcast because, I mean, you're right. Like, that, that's I'd like the only way to win is to. Oh, God, that's good. Um, no, you know, shout out to the Red Wolves. They've certainly had an interesting non-conference schedule. Um, I think at the end of the first like week, um, I don't know that it's time to talk about the Sunbelt's non-conference schedule because I don't I don't think there's anything really to glean from it outside of, um, you know, teams are probably not as strong as they were a year ago outside of James Madison. Um, and but, yeah, App State has been pretty good, too. Um, but this is the season that matters. This is where the teams kind of start separating themselves. Um, and, you know, we're headed into the season where three conference wins last year was the total. So, you know, 
getting at least one of them back this year uh this, this week is you know that's where georgia state wants to at least start they want to start off on a good foot um they're at home you know that's usually where they play better even though the convocation center probably hasn't seen the level of success that it, we thought that it would um but you know i really think because of the middle class of the sun belt right now is so jumbled that is a good opportunity for Georgia State to come out here and start the season off with a win against an Arkansas State. You know, Arkansas State is a team that does, you know, they do some things well. I don't think they're, you know, a team that Georgia State should necessarily fear. You know, they shoot the three ball about the same as Georgia State, and that was the thing that killed Georgia State last year. You know, if they score, they're, you know, I think middle of the pack in Sunbelt and scoring. Um, yeah, so... It's not to it's not to say that the Sun Belt um it's not to say that Arkansas State isn't capable of coming on the road and winning. Um, but you know, this is where this is where the barometer for Georgia State is really gonna show up. Is is the pace gonna be too fast for them in conference play? You know, is has the three ball situation been fixed? Has the defense, you know, capable of forcing a little bit more turnovers and getting even more possessions for an offense that probably wants to be you know, up-tempo. Are they really this good at shooting free throws? You know, I mean, their free throw percentage discrepancy is starting to really creep up there. Um, teams have been, you know, noticeably missing some free throws, and Georgia State has not. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think, I think Arkansas State and Georgia State are probably right around each other in certain aspects. Um, and, you know, if you're a betting person, usually you, that favors the home team. Yeah, and there's only one game this week. You're at home, whereas Arkansas State is having to come back from various places in the country and then immediately hop on a bus or a flight. I don't know what they're going to do. Hopefully they spring for a flight because it's just one game. Uh, but they're going to have to come on the road uh, for this Saturday's game. And so that is a distinct advantage, and it is for both teams, for, for all Sunbelt teams, this will be the luxury week where you're only playing one game. You can get one game plan prepped. You can be ready for just the game on the Saturday because from next week on, from Thursday after on, the rubber really hits the road and you're in the grind of conference play. And so it's a nice little starter for everyone involved, but especially for everyone who's fortunate enough to get this home game here. And to your point about they're similar teams, they're interchangeable. Arkansas State, uh, going off Ken Palm's efficiency rankings, were 223 on December 4th of this year. Uh, that day is the day they took an 89-65 loss to Alabama. On that day, Georgia State, in the same metrics, was 186. Well, fast forward to now, and Arkansas State has won a couple more games, and Georgia State's taken a couple more losses. Uh, one to Mercer, they probably wish they had back. And Arkansas State's at 173, and Georgia State's had 222 out of Division I, 364. So they've kind of traded places in the last month as far as just one person's metrics for how the team's performing. Georgia State's not buried in these numbers and certainly just a winnable game. They're favored to win by Ken Palm's own win percentages. As an implied 72-70 win with 55% win percentage probability for Georgia State. So this is the very definition of a toss-up. Uh, but Arkansas State has found something recently. You know, I mentioned the win over Louisville, but Louisville's not a very good team right now, as I mentioned. 
I think the impressive one that stands out to me is they beat UAB by 19 at home. They won 87-68 against a good UAB team who wants to be making some noise in the American Conference. And so they've got my attention. It's a fair amount of new faces that Coach Hodson brought in, but a couple of guys that Georgia State fans will remember from last year's game in Jonesboro. Uh, Avery Feltz is kind of a three-point shooter for them. Caleb Fields is one of their uh, main guards. And then you got some new names to look forward to. Freddie Hicks, Taryn Todd, DeAndre Dominguez, Darian Ford. It's going to be... I don't want to put too much stock into one game of conference play, but like I think it might serve as... like you, You use the word barometer. I think it might serve as that because... You know, if you're winning this game, it at least makes you feel like, yes, they've at least taken that stride to being in the middle of the pack rather than logging, you know, lagging all the way in the caboose in 14th place. If they lose a tight game, you still feel like they're competitive. But if this is a game after a break, after a good performance they had last time out that left them probably feeling good heading into the holidays, that's when you maybe get into concern territory and feeling like things aren't really progressing hardly at all, uh, even if they maybe aren't as bad as last year. So you don't put too much into one game, certainly not using the M followed by the W word for this one, but it should be a, a game that tells us a fair amount as far as one game samples can tell you anything. Play well, you know, I think at the end of the day, Georgia State is, was always going to be measured upon how much they improved from last year. And since you play more conference games than non-conference games, this is really when the season starts in some respects. Georgia State played well in very few games last year. I know they got three wins, but I feel like there was only a couple. Um, like the Coastal Carolina game last this, this past January was a game that they played pretty much the entire way they played well, you know, you're not going to necessarily repeat that level of performance, but Georgia state can, you know, do a lot of good by just playing well, even if they don't end up coming away with the win, please do come away with the win, but playing well goes so far to kind of assume, you know, if they continue to play well and, you know, players kind of feel more comfortable that it's going to repeat and they are going to do better than they did last year, which, you know, at its very basic form, that's really the first step to measuring success for them this year is how far did you improve and how far did you look at your flaws last year and improve them going into this year, improve upon them going into this year. Yeah, obviously it's a pretty new team. We've talked about it. Jonas has talked about it a lot that there's a lot of new pieces and that could be a factor in why they've struggled in some of these games and still figuring each other out. I think it's a positive in the sense that I don't think you're going to have this like dread, oh no, we're bad again feeling if they lose this game or whatever. But if you start off slow in conference play and you know, after this game, you head on the road for two against Southern Miss, who's going to grind you defensively and South Alabama team that Richie Riley is, it's an experience. We're not sure which version we're going to get in that game, but that's not an easy ask to go on the road for those two assignments. And so you're not going to assume a, an 0-3 start, but if they lose this one and if they go on the road and aren't able to handle those business next week, 
then I think you get the regular doubt that you'd have creep in any year. Not any feeling of like, oh, no, here comes last year again, but just you start to lose confidence as a group as you lose these games. And as that would continue from a trend at the end of non-conference where they lost four of their last six. And this feels like a moment to arrest all of that and get some positivity back and not risk this becoming a situation where it's another team that just is fighting it for confidence. All right. And that is all the time we have for this week's episode. But of course, before we get you out of here, we do have to let you know everything that's happening in Georgia State sports this week. And it's not a lot. Just two basketball games. Of course, we uh, just spent some time talking about Saturday uh, hosting Arkansas State for the Sunbelt opener. That game's at 2 p.m. in the Convocation Center. You can watch on ESPN Plus, or you can listen to Dave Cohen on the call on WGTJ FM 97.5. And then on Sunday, only other event on the calendar this week, uh, women's basketball travels to Troy, Alabama to take on the Trojans at 2 p.m. Eastern. That game will be on ESPN Plus. So that's all she wrote for 2023. Uh, hope you had a fantastic holiday season with you and yours, and we will see you back in the next episode in 2023. So happy new year and we'll see you then.